Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of the Double Covers Podcast with myself, Sean Holko, and my good friend, Mac Irvin III. Mac, how are we doing this week? Week number 15, we're almost done with the semester. I've been advised by our podcast editor, Robbie, to start the show saying I'm here so I don't get fined. So that's what I will go with. Well, isn't that a great way to start the show? Because today on Double Coverage, we have a lot to talk about. As usual, even though sports have been canceled for over 50 days, we find things to talk about here on Double Coverage. And Mac alluded to a little bit there. We are going to close out the show talking about Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch, and Frank Gore, two of the oldest running backs in the NFL. And we will debate who will have a better 2020 season, and that's all contingent on if Marshawn Lynch officially makes his return to presumably the Seattle Seahawks. But first, we will get into the U.S. Women's National Team's claim in court was denied for equal pay as they were trying to get on the same pay structure as the men, and that was denied. So Mac and I will discuss that to open the show. And in the middle block, we will discuss two quarterbacks who have recently signed on as backups. They've gone from being starters to backups, and we will also talk about the remaining free agents in the NFL here on the 15th episode of Double Coverage. So, Mac, let's just dive right into it. The U.S. Women's National Team had their claim denied on Friday by the Superior Court, and uh, they cited that the U.S. Women's National Team had actually been getting paid more than the men in recent years, but that has a lot to do with bonuses and the fact that they play more games and that they've actually won a World Cup or two. But what was your initial thoughts when you heard that their their claim was denied? My initial thought was, you know, it's not really surprising when you think about it. I mean, they always seemed like they were up against it from when the suit was filed. And, you know, it's it sucks, but I think it's just a case of people pay more attention to the men than the women. And I'm not saying that should be the case, but I'm just saying it looks like that's the way it is. I didn't really think their case had a chance in the public opinion, you know, from the get go. So the ruling wasn't that surprising to me. Yeah, I was I was really disappointed when I saw the ruling came out, mainly just because like I've gotten more and more into into soccer in recent years, and it's been because <laughs> of the women and for them not to be on the same equal levels as the men is is just disappointing. Part of the reason why it was denied is because in the past, the women had argued for more of a guaranteed structure in their contracts where more women are guaranteed to get paid in terms of 20 contracted players. So they made sure no matter what the results are that they are getting paid, which is something that they couldn't really say in the past when you had players like Julie Foudy, Mia Hamm out there for the U.S. women. So they, they decided to take deals that were more structured on guaranteed pay and bonuses Instead of uh, being on the same pay scale that the men are, which is basically on uh, more of a more of a salary, and also the the ruling of the judge to say that their their claim was denied because they already make more than the men, but that's pretty much just because they actually win, and when you win, you get bonuses. So for them to say that their bonuses are already included in their their total pay is ridiculous. Yeah, I thought it was really funny for them to cite that, you know, they made more than the men based on their, you know, tournament performances, you know. Well, I mean, it's clear to see the men failed to qualify for the World Cup 
and it was a colossal embarrassment for American soccer for them not to qualify for the World Cup. Meanwhile, the women went and won it twice in a row. So, I mean, it uh, it's honestly kind of funny how disrespected they are. But, I mean, at the same time, it's like I'm not really sure where else, you know, they can go from here apart from just, like, striking and sitting out a major tournament. I really don't see change coming on this forefront. And it's really disappointing to me because the women have been kicking ass on the international stage for for a long time now. And so, you know, I think the least that we can do is give them, you know, the same pay as the men who are only accomplishing a fraction of what they are. We were supposed to have the 2020 Summer Olympics in August in Tokyo. The women were going to go and they were going to kick ass again, Mac, and they were going to bring home another gold medal for well, the USA. Well, the Olympics is a bit of a different story. I think we, str- we struggled recently in the Olympics, but, you know, yeah. I'm confident. I'm confident in the ladies, but I do see your point that that teams like Brazil, France, and uh, Japan as well were also real contenders. If you ask Hope, Hope Solo. Yeah, very true. Sweden is also uh, another really good team. But I look at this U.S. women's national team like I look at – this was before our time, of course, but even the dream team, I, I look at them in, in those same uh, realms because – they are mega superstars and they are dominant most of the time when, when they go out there and play. So the fact that they're being disrespected like this, I, I, I just don't know. I, I don't understand it. Um, the last thing that I wanted to touch on Mac with this is that the women also argued um, unfair playing conditions compared to the men in the sense that the men got to play on more grass fields and, and just in on better playing surfaces and that the women had argued that they had been suge- subjected to playing on a lot of more artificial turf fields. That claim was also denied. So what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, just, you know, really disappointing situation all around. <laughs> There's not really much else I can add on it because <laughs> that's just the that's just the way the system is and I hate I hate that it's that way, but I mean, it's at this point, you know, what else can we do? Exactly. You and I are wondering what else can we do. The women are wondering what else they can do. Um, I guess the only thing that they can really do is they can just continue to win, continue to stack up those sponsorships. So then at the end of the day, they will be making more of the men as they should. But we we know that those pretty much the salaries are are a lot different. So that, that is disappointing. And that is currently going on in U.S. soccer. So... Support U.S. soccer at your own risk because they're I would not. Say, I would I would shout out the opinion piece that uh, Brooke and Robin did for the State Hornet, two of our former guests. I thought they did a really good job with that, so you should go check that out at statehornet.com. Yeah, shout out to, to um, Brooke Uhlenhop and Robin Dobson for that opinion piece on statehornet.com about the U.S. women's national team. Um, it, it was very good, and it also elicited a couple of uh, Twitter arguments between journalists, which was fun to observe from an outsider's perspective. If you're not getting people riled up, what are you really in this job for? 
Exactly. And it, it, that's, that's how it, that's how it goes with most opinion pieces, especially when it comes to sports, because um, I've only written one opinion piece in my entire time on the state Hornet. And it was over two years ago. And it was after the Warriors went back to back in the NBA finals. And I basically said, Kevin Durant going to the Warriors ruined the competitiveness of the NBA. And oh my God, it was a shit storm on social media. Let me tell you. Yeah, but I thought we were just talking about opinion pieces, not fact. Oh, I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to leave that there. All right, Max. So let's move on to our next topic, which is that two former starting quarterbacks in the NFL have signed with other teams and they will now be backups, most likely. And then we also still have some big name free agents still out there in the NFL. So let's get right to it. So first, Jameis Winston signed with the New Orleans Saints. Last week, he's going to be a backup to Drew Brees, and he signed a $1.1 million contract, which is a really small contract. Um, he's getting paid a lot less than a lot of a lot worse backups in the NFL, but this was a be humble contract for Jameis, and he'll, he'll get a year of learning, and then maybe he'll be able to get a starting position again next year. The other quarterback to sign was Andy Dalton, who was released from the Cincinnati Bengals recently after they took Joe Burrow number one overall. Andy Dalton decided to move back to Dallas, where he already owned a home after playing collegiate football at TCU. So that's a big W for Andy Dalton, the fact that he gets to not even move houses at all during this pandemic. And uh, Andy Dalton's deal has $3 million guaranteed and incentives can make him up to $7 million a year. And this is important because Dak Prescott is still holding out from the Dallas Cowboys. He still wants a, a contract extension. So Andy Dalton could be that guy for the Cowboys if Dak decides to hold out even longer. So, Mac, between these two quarterbacks, which do you think will make the biggest impact and why? For me, it's got to be Andy Dalton, and I think the simple reason is I think he will get playtime. I don't see what a fall from grace has been for our lovely turnover chef, Jameis Winston. You know, hopefully with that LASIK, he can give his – this year, I don't see him playing a lot of time in New Orleans with Drew Brees. You know, he's kind of kind of almost the Iron Man. I know, I know he missed a bunch of games last year, so – if he gets hurt again, then I'm sure the opportunity will present Jameis or Taysom, whichever they choose to go with. But I think, you know, when you look at Ed Dalton, when you look at the contract he signed, up to $7 million <laughs> when you factor in bonuses, and when you look at the fact that they have a quarterback that they haven't tied down to a long-term future, you know, Andy Dalton is not a terrible quarterback for me. And he's I, I was looking at him as one of the uh, best backups on the market. And so for him to land in Dallas, I think, you know, he's already a big upgrade over any of the other backup quarterbacks they had. I mean, we saw Cooper Rush got cut because of it. And so I think uh, Dalton will have the bigger impact this season. I agree because mainly just because of Dak Prescott and the uncertainty with his contract situation, he could, he could not miss any games. He could miss the first couple of games. Uh, another example with the Dallas Cowboys is when Ezekiel Elliott held out and he decided to hang out in Cabo and he was risking missing games. And, and the Cowboys had to bring in a couple extra running backs just to make sure that they had some backups in case he wasn't there. That's exactly what the Cowboys are doing with Andy Dalton. This is a win-win for the Cowboys and for Andy Dalton. Dalton. I already listed the reasons why it's a win for Andy Dalton. And then it's a win for the Dallas Cowboys because this is a big insurance policy. And, and you mentioned it, Mac, that Andy Dalton, he was actually a really solid, a solid NFL quarterback 
for a while. He's been in the league for nine years. There is a reason why he has stuck around this long. Yeah, his the end of his tenure in Cincinnati didn't go that well, and you have guys like me saying that he's trash and this and that, but at the end of the day, Andy Dalton is actually a solid NFL quarterback, so this was a solid signing for the Cowboys. And on the other side with Jameis Winston, it's just like last year with Teddy Bridgewater. If for some reason Drew Brees were to get hurt, and it could be another minor injury like last year it was his thumb, if he were to get hurt again, that's Jameis' opportunity. We saw what Teddy Bridgewater did with the opportunity, and he cashed in on it. Now we'll see if Jameis can do that and also learn from great minds like Sean Payton and Drew Brees to be able to cut down on those interceptions because Jameis led the NFL in passing yards last year, but having 30-plus interceptions is just an ugly look. Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, if he cuts down, if he had half of the interceptions <laughs> that he threw, he threw for 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. If you cut those interceptions in half, those are elite quarterback numbers. 30 touchdowns, 50 interceptions, you know, leading the league in passing yards. That's that's numbers for an elite quarterback. So, I mean, all he has to do is cut down on throwing the ball to the opposite team. Easy as it is for me to say here, but, you know, hopefully, you know, the LASIK should help with that. And uh, also maybe not having the stress of being the guy in New Orleans should help with that as well. Exactly, exactly. This is a big learning lesson for Jameis, and I think he's going to get a lot from this. And this could end up uh, helping save his career in the long run. So uh, this was this was good for, for Andy Dalton and for Jameis Winston to finally come to the realization, okay, we aren't starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Let's take a job while we can and then let's try to get a starting job again next year one quarterback mac who has not decided uh has not decided to become a backup qb or even trying to become a starting qb for for another team as of yet is cam newton and a lot that has to do with cam newton is the fact that he can't get a physical right now because of everything going on with the COVID-19 pandemic. And then you also have your guy, Mac, Jadavion Clowney, who still has yet to sign. He is currently um, being offered contracts from the Seahawks and the Tennessee Titans. He wants around 17 to 18 million, which is down from the 21 million that he wanted, but still not meeting uh, what the Seahawks or Titans want to pay him. So, Mac, we've talked about these two names a lot over the last month because they have still been free agents. But in your opinion, which of these two guys signs first? It's hard. I think it's going to be Clowney who signs first because it's, you know, he's still, he's a starting player wherever he goes, right? It's not like Cam where you don't know where he's going to be if he wants to play as a backup this year or if he wants to take the year off. Davion wants to play, and he's going to be a starter on whichever team he chooses to sign with. It's funny that he brought him up because I got a notification just as you were talking that it's unlikely he signs back in Seattle, which is fun times for me. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I just think uh, Davion's going to sign first. I think he's the bigger impact player right now. So as you're wearing your Seattle Seahawks scarf in a – bright green t-shirt you think that he ends up as a Tennessee Titan rather than a Seattle Seahawk looks more likely at this point unfortunately it looks more likely at this point but there's still other premium pass rushers you know available for us to sign I know we still have 17 main in cap space you know still looking at guys like Everson Griffin who hasn't been signed yet from the Vikings you know maybe they try to swing a trade for Yannick Ngakwe I mean they have options it just 
I think they're just waiting for Clowney, and Clowney's in no rush to make a decision. This is Jadavion Clowney's world, apparently, and we're all just living in it. Um, in regards to Cam Newton, the name that always keeps getting thrown around with Cam Newton is the New England Patriots. I would love to see that. I think a lot of us would. Um, just in terms of just the, the fit, I know a lot of us still hate the New England Patriots, so seeing them get any type of good player after Tom Brady departs is hard for anyone to hear. But I just feel like that's such a great fit. It's taken this long, so I don't know if it's going to happen. Maybe they really do believe in Jared Stidham as their future starter, but we shall see. Um, and who knows? Maybe by next week, Jadavion Clowney and Cam Newton will be signed. And if if they are, we'll talk about it here on Double Coverage. Now, Mac, let's get to our final segment of today, debating who will have a better 2020 season, who will be more productive between Frank Gore at 37 years old and Marshawn Lynch. I don't remember how old he is. He's like 35, 34, something like that. You should know that, Mac. Uh, But anyways, between those two elder statesmen, Frank Gore, as we know, signed a contract with the New York Jets yesterday to reunite with head coach Adam Gase. I believe it was a one-year, $3 million contract. And Marshawn Lynch told ESPN that his agent is currently in negotiations with the Seattle Seahawks for a return. So, Mac, with all of that information, I pose the question to you. Who will have a more productive 2020? Is it Frank Gore or Marshawn Lynch? More productive, huh? Uh, By the way, Marshawn Lynch is 34. Um, Man, this this is going to hurt for me to say. I I think it's going to be Frank Gore. I think Frank Gore is going to have a more productive season. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just destroyed your whole concept of a debate here on double coverage. I'm aware of that. But, I mean, when you look at the numbers, I mean – Frank Gore is still still a solid option at running back. I mean, what, last year he had 599 yards on 166 rushes. I mean, those aren't stellar numbers, but I think he's going to see – you think he's going to get more carries and more yards than a potential return for Marshawn Lynch because I think here's the important thing to look at with Marshawn Lynch. when If the Seahawks re-sign him, I doubt it's going to be as a starter because I think at this point in his career, I think Lynch is – the third down bruiser back. And we saw him, you know, deployed in that a whole lot during his uh, brief three-game return to Seattle last year where he scored four touchdowns. He didn't put up a whole bunch of yardage, but, you know, we used him a lot on those, like, third and ones, third and twos, those diff- those situations when we need to get those yardage, that yardage on the ground rather than risking Russell throw it in the air. And I think that's going to be his role going forward if he comes back. And I think they're look they're looking to bring somebody back. Prob uh, it would probably be him if they do sign somebody, just because you know we're unsure if if Carson or Penny is going to be ready to start the season. We know Penny's not going to be ready to start the season, but if Carson's healthy, he's the number one back. And you know we still got the two rookies that we had that we drafted and that we had coming back from last season. So for me, this is this is a slam dunk one. I think Frank Gore is going to have a more productive season. I'm very disappointed in you, Mac. As a Seattle Seahawks fan, I really thought that you were going to die on the Marshawn Lynch Hill and that I was going to argue for my former San Francisco 49er great Frank Gore, who is a journeyman in the NFL now. Um, Well, shoot. I was prepared to argue on the side of Frank Gore, but you flipped the script on me. So let me, I'm going to debate it on the other side. I think that it's going to be Marshawn Lynch because Marshawn Lynch, he pretty much only played in one 
uh, regular season game last year. He had 12 rush attempts for 34 yards and a touchdown, and that was in Week 17 against my San Francisco 49ers. So in my opinion, I think that Marshawn Lynch is refreshed. And he's younger. He's three years younger than Frank Gore is. And also the fact that there's so much uncertainty in Seattle right now. You kept saying Rashad Penny, Chris Carson, if, if, if they're healthy, those are big ifs. So I think that Marshawn Lynch could make an impact in Seattle from the beginning of the season. On the other side, you have Frank Gore, who is going to split the carries with Le'Veon Bell. Obviously, the Jets gave Le'Veon Bell a huge contract last offseason, so Frank Gore isn't going to get a majority of those carries. He's pretty much just going to be an alternative and a change-up back from Le'Veon Bell. So I actually think that Marshawn Lynch will make a bigger impact in 2020. And uh, it's ironic because when I was thinking about which side I was going to take with this, I thought for sure you were going to take Marshawn Lynch. So I was like, okay, I have to come up with an argument on the other side for Frank Gore. And I was going to say the fact that he was splitting the carries with Le'Veon Bell. But I actually do think that Marshawn Lynch will have a more productive 2020, at least in terms of overall stats. I think his stats will be better than Frank's. Um, But another if, we were talking about ifs with the injuries, this is if Marshawn Lynch even re-signs with Seattle because right now Frank Gore has a contract with the New York Jets. Marshawn Lynch hasn't signed another contract with the Seattle Seahawks. So it's all a big if and wait and see. And we're talking about a bunch of hypotheticals, but that's all we can really do in this world with no sports. Right, Mac? Yeah, it would be really interesting uh, to see if Marshawn Lynch would take this offseason to get back in like peak physical shape. Because I mean, we saw him come back. We know he 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 we pretty much he pretty much came off the street. <laughs> While he still had a lot of that power, you could see he wasn't in the same kind of you know training regimen as he was when he was uh, good during his glory days in Seattle. So uh, I, I'll give you this: I'll definitely think if he signs, I think he'll have more touchdowns than Frank Gore. But I think when we're talking about production, like yards per carry and yards in a game through the season. I think it's got to be Frank Gore. And you mentioned splitting carries. I mean, we've seen running backs benefit from split carries like uh, Tevin Coleman in San Francisco. You know, he did so well. And Raheem Mostert, they did so well that Matt Breed is gone. So, I mean, be splitting the splitting the carries to running back. Is yeah, very true. It's, it's one thing to have uh, a running back field with two running backs or three running backs. But when you get like San Francisco last year where it was around four or even Seattle when they had a healthy team where it was around four, that's when it becomes a little too much. So having two solid running backs is a a really good thing to do. Um, I just want to touch on one final thing, Mac, before we close out the show. Um, And it was in regards to what you said about Marshawn is last year when he came in at the end of the season to Seattle that they were running him in third and one formations, third and two formations. And that wasn't as effective as it has been in the past because obviously he's not uh, as young as he once was, but also because when you do that, you're showing the other team, okay, Marshawn Lynch is only going to be on the field in these short runs and we can stack the box against him. That's going to make it a lot easier. So Seattle will have to come up with more offensive uh, schemes for him. But to be fair, that was also him coming off the street after not being with Seattle for two, three seasons. And he was basically just playing with the playbook that he still remembered from his uh, first run in Seattle. So um, I just thought I'd note that. And also you're completely right. Go ahead. You also have to remember the big locker room morale boost it gave for all the younger players because, you know, this was this is pretty much a complete, almost completely different roster from when we went to the Super Bowl. So all these players getting the opportunity to see Marshawn in the locker room 
you know, that could be a, a big thing in itself, just the morale boost it has from having a star like Marshall. Yeah, that, that is an excellent point because he is an enigma. And uh, also Frank Gore, he's currently number three on the all-time um, NFL rushing list. I believe the two guys who he trails is Emmett Smith, and I think the other one is Barry Sanders. I apologize if I got that wrong. Um, but anyways, so Frank Gore is number three on the list. Then you have Marshawn Lynch on the other side. And not only is he an enigma, but last season he was at the last Oakland Raiders home game in the parking lot, smoking blunts, drinking 40s. And then two weeks later, he was playing in week 17 for the Seahawks trying to win a division title. So that just shows the quick turnaround with Marshawn Lynch last season. I'm really interested to see what he would look like at age 34 this season with a full offseason of training. It should be interesting, but regardless, it will be very entertaining to still see Marshawn Lynch and Frank Gore on the field in 2020. Okay, so that is going to do it for this episode of Double Coverage. Mac, final thoughts? Anything you want to get off your chest? Uh, shout out to NASCAR. First sport coming back. Uh, it's uh, next Sunday, I believe. Well, so we'll finally get to see some proper sports. And, man, I'm curious to see what the ratings for that race is going to be like. I'm sure it's going to be off the charts from anything what they expected. At the beginning also, the shout out to the Korean baseball, uh, the KBO, the Korean Baseball League, for giving us some type of sports, even though it was on at 1 a.m. on ESPN2. I did enjoy seeing former Oakland A, Dan Straley, getting a home run hit off of him. So that was pretty entertaining. All right, that's going to do it for the 15th episode of the Double Coverage Podcast. For Mac Irvin III, I am Sean Holko. Make sure to tune in next week for episode number 16, a finals week edition of Double Coverage. And if you want to listen to some of our past podcasts or if you want to re-listen to this one, you can find it on Apple, Spotify, and StateHornet.com. Catch you all next Wednesday, everyone. Be safe, be healthy, wash your hands.